The National Institute of Standards and Technology has issued a special publication that could be characterized as the Bible of Risk Assessment. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro, and I'm pleased once again to be joined by the key author of the Guide for Conducting Risk Assessment, and this fellow, Ron Ross. Welcome, Ron. Good morning, Eric. How are you doing today? Great. Thanks. The guidance is also known as NIST Special Publication 830 Revision 1. So what's new in Revision 1? Yeah, 830 Revision 1 actually uh, takes the original 830, which is a risk management-focused uh, guideline, uh, the risk management being addressing all of the key areas, for example, assessing risk, responding to risk, and then maintaining risk over time or monitoring risk. That task now is being handled by the flagship publication in the Joint Task Force series, which is Special Publication 839. Uh, 830 now has been downscoped to look only at the risk assessment piece of the risk management process, so it's a much more focused look at doing risk risk assessments, and it has a lot more content to help the organizations conduct good risk assessments, whether they're formal, informal, whether it's for a large organization or for a small organization. Can you just highlight a few of those? Sure. Some of the things that we address in the in the risk assessment guideline is we talk about how organizations frame their risk, which is really the first step in the risk management process, where they establish their constraints, the assumptions, their risk tolerance, and they prioritize all of their core missions and business functions. And once they do that, you then get into the main part of the document where you're going through a very detailed step-by-step process where you look at threats, vulnerabilities, impact to your mission or your business operations if a particular threat would actually exploit the vulnerability that you have to cause that adverse impact to the organization. And then, of course, the likelihood that the threat would actually exploit that vulnerability to cause the impact. Each of those are, we call those risk factors. And there's lots of different tables in the publication, which allow organizations to look at the different types of threat sources that they may be concerned about. And of course, threat sources can vary from everything from cyber attacks, where you have a hostile entity out there trying to do damage. There could also be structural failures. There could be errors of omission or commission done by humans. And then, of course, there's the natural disasters like hurricanes and earthquakes. All these threat sources are laid out in tables, and then there are certain threat events that can happen from those threat sources. We also look at those different things. And then there are vulnerabilities that organizations have to determine using whatever vulnerability analysis they might want to carry out. There's also things like predisposing conditions where certain conditions within the organization eliminate certain types of threats. So if you're not connected to the network, there's a whole class of cyber attacks that are taken off the table. And then we have our tables that uh, put all these factors together and allow you to use either a quantitative approach or a qualitative approach or something in between to come up with your the, the best information you can with regard to the risks that the organization is going to face. So you're not telling them to take one way or another. You're giving them the options to go which is best for their organization. No, that's a great point because a lot of folks think that the guidance that we put out is very dogmatic. You have to follow the step-by-step, but really this publication in particular helps organizations design a risk assessment process that works for their particular organization. And you know, this document has to serve the very high-end customers like in the intelligence community. It has to serve the warfighters, but it also is customizable to the extent that any organization in the public or the private sector, the private sector using the guideline on a voluntary basis, they can design it to work work for the size, the scope of the organization's missions and operations. It can be a very formal risk assessment or it can be actually fairly simple and informal. The key is to make it work so you get the best information so you understand what kind of security controls do I really need to protect my critical systems and those critical missions that those systems might be supporting. This sounds like it would be a very valuable document for private organizations who are hearing a lot about cyber liability insurance and and part of 
applying for it is to understand what's at risk. Well, you know, that's another excellent point. I, I've been saying for a long, long time that even if we didn't have FISMA in the federal government, the, the Federal Information Security Management Act and all the policies that come out of OMB, using the NIST guidelines and the standards just to do what we call security due diligence in a world that is fairly dangerous with these high-end cyber attacks now, and organizations in the private sector are every bit as susceptible to these types of attacks. And in a very competitive world today where these companies are competing globally, if there is a cyber attack and there's a, a massive exfiltration of intellectual property or things like healthcare records or, or financial records, those are very devastating to the customers and it can damage the reputation of the company. It can actually damage the company in very significant ways. It can hurt their competitiveness. You know, for all the right reasons, risk assessment and all of the tools that we provide in our control catalog can be used to develop really good safeguards and countermeasures that these organizations can use so they can protect their critical assets in, in, in a world that has a lot of uh, uh, adversaries out there that might want to do them harm. You mentioned uh, that in some ways this guide for conducting risk assessments is obviously tied to a special publication, 839, with managing information security risk. How is best to combine these two? 839 provides a more detailed description of the risk assessment process, which is one of the four steps in the 839 risk management process. But it's also tied very closely to the security control catalog in 800-53. And as you know, we've been working for the past almost a year and a half now on a major review revision to 853 revision 4. In revision 4, we are greatly strengthening many of the security controls and adding controls that are directly tied to some of the cyber attacks that we've observed and some of the threats that we know are out there. As the control catalog expands, we're going to go from around 600 controls up to 850 or something. And people look at all those controls and say, hey, how can I do all these? You know, it's a daunting task. Well, the answer is risk assessments can help fine-tune and specialize your security plan so you can pick those controls that are actually necessary to help you respond to the risks that you do determine that you have through the use of the risk assessment process. There's, there's kind of a general threat space out there that every system owner, every organization needs to protect themselves against. But in the intelligence community, and when, when they look at analyzing an adversary or a threat, they look at three factors. They look at the adversary's capability, the intentions of the adversary, and also the targeting aspects, whether you're actually a target of an adversary. A lot of times you can't get all the information in this particular set of characteristics, but you can get some, and that can drive you to select controls that would be geared to stop certain types of threats. You never can close all vulnerabilities. Risk assessments, it's a tool to help us do a better job at selecting the controls that we really need. Today, you know, every control costs money to implement and our budgets aren't getting any larger. You've got to be more nuanced in how you do that control selection process. I'd like to emphasize a point that you just said, because I've heard you say this before, that you can protect yourself against everything. You can't. And the other point I, I'd like to make is that, you know, for the last uh, 10 years, uh, we've been working on the FISMA project. We've come up with all of the tools now that organizations can use, like the risk management framework, dirty controls, all the processes and procedures. That's kind of the first front on this battle that we're waging with the, the adversaries in the cybersecurity area. We need to open up now a second front that allows us to integrate our security requirements into what I term the mainstream organizational processes. There's four areas that we really need to do a better job at uh, the integration process. Integrating security into the acquisition process, for example, into the enterprise architecture, 
into systems and security engineering processes, and also the fourth one would be the system development lifecycle. We always talk about building security in, baking it in, but those are, in essence, buzzwords. Unless and until we take some strong steps to integrate those requirements into those mainstream processes, that is what is going to help us build stronger, more penetration-resistant, more resilient systems. And that's really a fundamental requirement moving forward because some of the cyber attacks are very sophisticated today. It's going to take that strengthening of the underlying IT infrastructure to really make continuous monitoring worthwhile. Because as I always say, you can monitor that broken lock on your front door once a day or you can check it 100 times a day, the lock is still broken. Grand strategy at the end of the day has to be twofold. You have to be build it right and then continuously monitor. So we're going to have to you know, walk and chew gum at the same time. Moving forward on continuous monitoring uh, with all the great work that DHS is doing in that area and then also moving out to, or within our own organizations, integrate those cybersecurity teams into those mainstream processes. With the issuance of the revised guide for conducting risk assessment, the original series of five key computer security documents envisioned by the Joint Task Force to create a unified information security framework for the federal government is completed. The Joint Task Force for the Uninitiated is a partnership among NIST, the Department of Defense, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, and the Committee on National Security Systems. What is the significance of having all five guides published now? is really enormous with regard to so many different factors. If you go back about four or five years, the DOD, the Intel community, and NIST were all using different standards and guidelines for their respective communities. We go to a lot of the same contractors who help provide security solutions for the government and all of our systems, especially the critical ones. By sizing across these five publications, we now have a common language on how to express our information security requirements. This common language is expressed in the terms of the security controls in 853. It's expressed in the risk management framework, which gives us a standardized process on how to select the right controls, make sure those controls are implemented, assessed for effectiveness, and authorized for operation, which means the risk acceptance part, and then, of course, our continuous monitoring components. Having standardized assessment procedures so we all know when the control is um, deployed, when we try to assess that for effectiveness, we have a common way to do that now. This common standard and all the, the standardized language is very important when you're working with partnerships today. We do a lot of work between federal agencies, deal a lot with the public and the private sector partnerships. Information is moving across boundaries, and it's very important that all customers in these partnerships have an understanding of what their partner's doing with regard to due diligence. That, to me, is one of the most important factors. And that common language allows us to have that dialogue so we can take a measure of our due diligence. And if they're falling short, we can ask bolster up in certain areas. It's going to be enormously important for our contracting base. Our contractors can now provide single solutions targeted at one set of standards and guidelines instead of having to do three different things for three different customer bases. The last thing I would say is it's given NIST a great opportunity working with our terrific partners in the intelligence community and the Defense Department to get access to the best threat data on the planet. We can use that threat data to craft the kinds of security controls, the safeguards, countermeasures that are necessary to protect our customers that, that they can use to protect their critical systems. There is nothing more important today than protecting our critical infrastructure because that has such a potentially devastating impact if there is a cyber attack on, on some of those infrastructure assets like the energy sector or the financial sector or any of the critical infrastructure sectors that are defined in the uh, executive orders and legislation.
significance of having a unified information security framework in the federal government to those charged with conducting risk assessment and securing technology in the private sector who are not necessarily contractors or for that matter in state and local governments. So the significance of that. Well, it gives them another set of tools. If you're in a state and local government um, and you're not tied to the federal government anyway, most states have some connection with the feds and they have to comply with some of the standards and guidelines. Most of the private sector folks, the vast majority, are, are not under the umbrella of FISMA, yet this provides them a very rich set of tools. They don't have to use all five documents. They can take whatever they feel is important from those publications. They can use the risk management framework, their own set of security controls, and use the process. They can pick whatever controls out of our catalog are most appropriate to helping them protect their particular missions and business operations. They, they can scale the guidance that we have down to a fairly small company, so they don't have to do the entire spectrum of things that the federal government may, may be doing. They can choose whatever is necessary to make it work in a cost-effective way. There's lots of different standards out there in the private sector. This provides one more opportunity to select from, and uh, we hope that they take advantage of it and, and we can provide value in that way. Well, the task force is not going away. We've finished our first mission of the, the five documents, and now we get together every year at the National Security Systems Conference, the annual conference, and we decide, are there any additional publications that all three communities agree they would like to move into that joint task force. They haven't decided on any new ones yet, but I am very confident that there'll be other ones moving into that joint task force realm in the next year or so. And then, of course, we have the task of updating these five publications. And I mentioned that we're updating our security control catalog, 853 Rev4. That's going to happen at the end of November. So each of these documents is kind of a living document in the sense that we constantly try to update it to keep up with the latest threats, the things that are, our partners need to have to make it work in their environments of operations. The work really never ends. We always are making sure that we're up to date and, and providing the best guidance to our customers that we can. Thanks, Ron. Thank you, Eric. It was great to be with you again today. And that's Ron Rost of NIST for Information Security Media Group. I'm Eric Chabro. Thanks for listening.